Wowie wow. Welcome to episode 20 of your favorite podcast. Oh god, it hurts. Oh god, it hurts. Yes, you did the favorite it's a, thing kind again, of a huh? mild. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm hoping that subliminally we'll take over the world with this kind of meta messaging. But anyways, it's... yes, we have hit a mild milestone. <laughs> 20 episodes. What, what, what are you going to say? <laughs> yes. It's a mild uh, milestone. I don't know. There, there, was a, there was a brief cacophony of feelings there between use of the word meta um, at Al. Yes. That was a lot. There was a lot to unpack <laughs> there, but you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. <laughs> Let's do that. We've been yeah. this, we come this far, 20 episodes. Let's just keep on mm-hmm. keeping on. Yep. I am Game Agent E.T., and along with the right is my good friend and co-host, the Six-Button Samurai, JJJ. How you doing, buddy? I am mighty fine on this very toasty Saturday in the desert. It's hot, but uh, we got some interesting heavy thunderstorms yesterday. Um, hopefully we get more because the desert always needs more rain, more water. So bring it on. Yeah. About that time for monsoons, right? Yep. Now it's the season, I would believe. Pretty yes. close. Yep. In earnest. Yeah. Can you, can you fry uh, eggs on the sidewalk? Like we usually could do. Um, pretty much. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it hasn't been like an exceedingly high temperature lately, but it's been very, very swampy because it'll get to like Mm. 103, 104, but like with some fairly high humidity for these parts. So sticky. Yeah. Usually, uh, we're hitting like the high, well, not high, but the 110s. I... And it's not sticky. It's it's a, what we say in Tucson and in Arizona in general, a dry heat. <laughs> yeah. Dry heat. <laughs> yes. That's good. Glad to hear that. Kind of getting a little cool down, even though it's not really cool. But right. at least you get some rain activity. And yeah. does uh, the plants good? Does... Uh, I mean, since it's a desert, it's water's hard to come by nowadays. Very true. We don't get our water from very many sources, so yeah, yep. that's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, here here in Japan, uh, it's funny because they were saying, "Oh, we're we're past our monsoon season," but then it started raining even harder. Yep, <laughs> we had a typhoon last week or two. That's wild. This week we had another big uh, storm rage through, but overall it's been hitting Osaka, but not as hard as other areas. So we are not yet at the typhoon stage, but that's usually later on in probably the next couple of months. Mm. That's when things can get a little scary, but otherwise... Yeah, we had a little bit of rain this week. It's been fairly nice weather today, and yeah, it's 
still humid. Right on. Still like the crack of the crack of Satan's butthole. It's lovely. Kind of steamy and not not pleasant, but it's not devastatingly hot or anything like right. Tucson at its peak or anything like that. So I'm kind of grateful for that. Should be. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think, uh, last episode I mentioned, uh, about my thumb this week, uh, I get surgery. It's going to go well. About two days. Yeah. I think, uh, I'm over the just initial shock of everything. And just now I know that, okay, this is what I need. It's yeah. going to be painful, a little bit painful, but this is a much better alter- alternative than letting it run its course. And it's not, it's probably not going to get any better if I just leave it alone. So it's better that I do this now to get it taken care of. <laughs> I have a chance to get better. Yeah. If we get the surgery and remove it and see what it is, whatever happens, happens. I think I mentioned before that, uh, if it spreads, then amputation's a possibility. In, in fact, it's a probability. But I'm okay with that as long as I'm still around. I mean, thumb is what? 1% of my body? But let the 99% keep going? That's fine with me. Yeah, but you're yeah. being real proactive so, about it. So I'm going to dwell in the realm of positivity and say that I like your odds and I think this is going to be fine. Me too. I'm very optimistic as well. I'm glad that uh, I had a friend who told me about this clinic and I got properly checked and they didn't dismiss it. They didn't tell me, oh, it's nothing. Just come back when it hurts. Right. (laughs) That's what the first doctor told me, uh, which kind of, I didn't like that response. But this one, they kept tabs on me. Every two months for half a year until something changed. And now I'm getting it checked, you know, getting it taken care of. And I actually wanted to say last time, uh, just in general, if there's something going on with your body, some sort of change and it keeps changing and you're a little worried about it, definitely get it checked and definitely do some research. I mean... I know people say don't do Google for research on medical stuff, but at the same time, you do need at least a little bit of information of what it could possibly be and try to find like a doctor that can help you. And if it's getting worse and worse, especially if you're feeling pain, definitely keep looking for a doctor that specializes in what, could be happening to you to properly diagnose it just early detection is the key man don't yeah. let it get to the point where it's irreversible and bad stuff is going to happen yep if you don't take care of it just get it confirm it try get a yeah. second opinion if you can i think just the operative phrase it- with online research of medical maladies is just grain of salt. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cause yeah. y- exactly. you can really go hard in the other direction. Like, you know, I think I went through a spell a long time ago where like 
if something was wrong, I would try and look it up on WebMD and like pretty much like all paths from WebMD lead to, oh, this is what kind of cancer you have. And so it's important <laughs> to just be a little bit sort of, okay, like maybe I should go get this looked at kind of thing. You know what I mean? Rather than like, yeah. you know, just, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, be safe. Uh, if it, yeah, definitely. If, if it hurts a little bit, then yeah, maybe you do need to get it di- diagnosed quickly. Right. But if it's something like, uh, like my thumb, the width wasn't very big. It was like the width of a pencil point. Right. And it got much bigger every year. I right. I've had this for four years now, and now it's starting to get darker at the base. Right. Then you know you got something going on. Mm-hmm. And that's when you should. I mean, well, hopefully you'll get it checked a little bit before that, like I did. But right. yeah, just don't hesitate much. Yep. Yeah. Don't ignore it. That's the big thing. True. Be safe out there. Let's mosey on down to the water cooler. Sure. Let's <laughs> talk about on, games. On <laughs> yeah. We're talking about games now. Not. Not, not medical practices. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's, uh, I guess uh, now that summer is getting to the midpoint, uh, I guess all the non-E3 announcements for this year just passed, yep. finished, I'm guessing. I, I, I think it's all complete. But that leads yeah, to this so interesting piece of news. E- yeah. Yeah. Read pop, right? Read pop, a company who, uh, kind of revitalized or actually, uh, did a lot of good work with, uh, some conventions like PAX East and star Wars celebration. They're yep. going to be the ones that going to work with E3. And is this a good thing, James? What do you think? Well, here's my thing. Like, I went to a lot of E3s between 1996 and, good God, mm-hmm. I think the last one was probably sometime with Sebastian, like, 2013, maybe? So, I'd was seen I a lot of these. You? No, Cause... you were not. Oh, okay. 2013? You're, you're in Japan, Home Slice. I was in Japan 2017. Uh, no, 20, uh, 2007. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 2007. Um, I've wow. seen a lot of those shows, and, you know, originally E3 came about as a, you know, it was to fill the need for a video games industry centric entity of its own you know pulling away from what used to be a regular appearance at the summer consumer electronics show in chicago um like throughout the late 80s and early 90s um thing was as a convention it was still very very organized specifically in a way to open itself up to the press to allow the press to 
experience lots of new games or hardware launches and write about them and sort of provide exclusive access. But of course, you know, over the years, there was a very strong influx of, you know, regular ass people who naturally are just crazy about games and wanted to get in on some of that themselves. So you'd see a variety of strategies deployed to get into E3 without like rock solid industry credentials, you know, particularly in the internet era where pretty much anybody could just start a blog and then apply for credentials based on whatever their blog was and and get them. Um, And I think through much of the exactly people, people, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, a lot of people, like you said, just, they started blogs just to get into E3. Yeah. They really didn't want, yeah. they really didn't have the intention of maintaining it. I remember those well, not days. really maintaining so it or, like, writing in a consistent way, you know? It was more just like, oh, I really want to get into E3 and, like, see the new GameCube or whatever, you know? So, there was a lot of that. But I think it sort of ignored, like, what was happening in the rest, you know, in much of the rest of gaming, where those events had evolved to become much more of, like, a proper, like, kind of fan event. So I think this is definitely overdue. Um, It seems like Read Pop are the right ones to do it based on the variety of other events they run. I mean, Star Wars Celebration is a massive undertaking. PAX has become a really big deal to a lot of gamers who enjoy those events. So I think it's a great thing. They also did New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. That's huge, right? Yeah. I mean, those are all That's really large-ish events in which you have you know, sizable numbers of people that'll travel to a given city to take part in those events. So it feels like the right time for it. And I think, you know, the old iteration of E3 was definitely like on a ventilator as it was because, you know, all these companies had begun to follow Nintendo's lead in sort of creating their own direct like events whether it was you know xbox and their showcases or sony and their state of play announcements so yeah i think it's a good thing and i think you know having something that actually caters to fans in an above board way without the whole sort of cloak and dagger routine of trying to get into e3 is a good thing you know like why not just make some money and actually have a lot of those people you know, properly invited and on there, you know, attending the thing on legitimate terms, you know, I think that's a good thing. Exactly. I think um, you're hundred percent correct on that, where times have changed and you definitely want to use this more as a celebration than like an invite only type of event. You want it right. to, be the focal point of announcements you want it to be the focal point of in general just Mm -hmm. saying hey this is the time where we're just gonna have a lot of fun celebrate this whole week you're gonna hear a lot of announcements a lot of exciting announcements and 
it's just going to be like Christmas in June again, mm -hmm. like it used to be. But this time, you all can come in. A little because, more on the level. <laughs> as we mentioned before. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? I mean, <laughs> because nowadays, in general, I think a lot of people... They were able to play these games through downloadable demos nowadays because back then, in the old days, we would only be able to access previews of games, demos, with either those discs that come with PlayStation magazines and Dreamcast magazines, or if you went to events like E3, right? Right. But now you can download these demos anytime so that kind of takes away part of what made e3 so special but now maybe you can do something a little different that like you know tournaments or right. cosplay events i don't know just something that would reward people who did come to visit these yeah, events I mean, a little bit the more. entire show is really organized around a pre-network support model of video gaming to a large extent. And, you know, even the business of coordinating with journalists or YouTubers and lining up coverage for games has really, really changed because pretty much when you've got a developer that's on the eve of, like, a big launch of their game, you know... They've already ha got the game in the hands of, you know, a select group of YouTube folk that are all going to, you know, drop their reviews of whatever title. Like you saw a lot of this with uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge game where like in like a 72 hour period right before the game dropped, like there were all these reviews that hit pretty much at the same time. So, you know, you don't need yeah. E3 to coordinate that kind of coverage anymore. But by the same token, the fandom of video games have actually expanded greatly since that time. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense to create something that's a little different in emphasis, but, you know, can still get everybody together under one roof. Yeah, and I, as I mentioned before in a past episode, even people in the industry like this event because it gives them a chance to meet in one place from all mm -hmm. over the world and just talk about what they're doing in their respective companies and catch up and see each other face to face instead of doing, you know, like video calls and things like that. Right. I think it's great. And hopefully it may be the return of some swag, right? You know, <laughs> there is a phenomenon where back then, E3 was well known for its uh, complimentary little pieces of swag, as we would say, like t-shirts or little trinkets that you would get for visiting booths. Right. Maybe since it'll be a fan event again, maybe that'll be the return. Who knows? That'd be cool. I think Mayhaps. that would generate a lot of interest. Yeah. But um, I do have one question. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to think about this. Um. <laughs> Do you think E3 should really distinguish itself from the other Reed Pop represented uh, cons like New York Comic Convention or PAX? Or should they try to model it 
like packs. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I always understood that, like, the reason E3 came into existence specifically in Los Angeles had everything to do with geography, right? Like, you're closer to Nintendo of America. You're closer to a boatload of developers that, you know, operate in Los Angeles and throughout Silicon Valley. Um, You know, Sega used to be headquartered in San Francisco as well. I forget if they still are now. I think they are. Um, But yeah, like it made a lot of sense to do it that way. And I don't know, like it's tough though, because like E3 is definitely a known thing and there's like some history behind it. So I could almost see them like wanting to sort of preserve some aspects of it, at least from like a branding standpoint. Because it is known, and it has been talked about for a really long time, but, you know, I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see, like, what the reveal is when they've taken control of it, and, you know, how all of that is going to be communicated to people, particularly by virtue of social media, because that's just how the hype is generated these days. So. I don't know. It's a it's a good question, and I don't know. Like, again, I see the value of it strictly from a legacy and branding standpoint, but at the same time, it's tricky because you want to communicate that like this is a very different animal that's going to be really open to and embracing the fan experience. So, we'll see what it does. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think as long as they make it more fan friendly mm-hmm. and I'm sure there are going to be some industry days like they had before, but it'll probably be like the first two days and then the next three or four days would be fan events, fan days yeah. open to the but public. See, even that's tricky but though, even because that, like yeah. if you're trying to communicate the mm-hmm. idea that like this is a very different thing, you know, maybe it's yeah. just like a really like maybe there is like a day zero of it, but like you barely communicate that to the outside world. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't even mention it. I would just say like, yeah, this is going to be a public event, but you can keep it under wraps. Like the first couple days, that's when the booths are getting built. They're the, there's the private meetings and maybe like some of the hype building that, the the media can right. bring up yeah and that'll be perfect you don't have to make it a big deal just say it okay, would seem to me to be like it's gonna the be the kind of thing that would be really ripe for like youtubers or other influencers to sort of be on the ground there and yeah. you know bang the drum for in advance but i don't know it's a it's an interesting thing but i think it is good to note that like a change was desperately needed or it just needed to die off completely. I think this I is think. the last chance I would believe if, yeah. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think it's having not it coming limp back along, next year. It's not coming back. Yeah. I don't think having it limp along in its former state was really an option at all. So I think it was a smart move. I agree. Yeah. I, I think, uh, 
it's in good hands. We'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. I don't yeah. want to see E3 die. Yeah. What, what I do hope to see is hopefully they can somehow get Sony and Microsoft back on board because Sony and Microsoft started to do their own thing. Nintendo kind of, uh, they were there, but at the same time, they also did their own thing. Well, they'd, all, they'd also managed so to drain if, a lot of the energy away from it because, you know, they've been so successful yeah. with their directs. I mean, when you think about well the Nintendo Direct, like, really coming into its own in the Switch era since 2017, mm-hmm. like, that was definitely yeah. a problem for E3 to go, well, why are we here? Like, why why does this event still occur? So, it's a good thing. But if they do Nintendo Direct from E3, that would be cool. Right. Yeah. It's best of both worlds and no, just be a hybrid, the event. right? Yeah. Yeah. Because they also had Treehouse where they had a group of uh, specialized members from Nintendo talking about and demoing their games at E3. That's what happened before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that that would still continue. But yes, yeah. I would think that getting convincing PlayStation and uh, Sony and Microsoft to be back at some capacity, uh, capacity, as well as fending off Summer Game Fest, which I mean, uh, they'll try to be there still. But I'm hoping that E3 will be back. I I don't like this uh, fragmented type of. announcements that has been going on because of the pandemic and as much as summer game fest helped us out the past couple of years i don't know jeff jeff keekley i don't i don't know what is how to pronounce his name but yeah Mm -hmm. he's pushing hard to make his show the number one but it's hard to be e3 it's like e3 is like uh how you mentioned like oh uh, instead of tissue, some people say Kleenex, and instead of bandage, you say Band-Aid. So E3 right. is synonymous with what's going on with video game announcements in summer. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Summer Game Fest. I mean, yeah, they'll do what they want, but I don't know. I'd rather just have E3 back, to be honest. Right. Anyways. I see that. Yeah. Moving, yeah. Moving right along. Uh, we can never get rid of this topic, but it's about NFTs. Oh no! Uh, you okay? You get you showed me an interesting article I did not see. Yeah, but when you showed me it, I I couldn't believe it. It's about Tony Hawk. Yeah, and he's making an NFT game. Well, <laughs> why? Tony? Here's the thing. Like, I really think yeah. you can like. F- fairly and squarely put the blame on act blizz for this because you know we got a great remake of tony hawk one and two and if you haven't played it and you love those games back in the day you absolutely should because they were given an unbelievably fantastic treatment like every version of that game screams along at 60 frames a second the levels were given really beautiful makeovers you know, via modern hardware. And we learned that mm-hmm. when Actlis decided to fold Vicarious Visions into the rest of the company, um, the thing that was on deck was also a remake of Tony Hawk 
three and four, which was then canceled. So, yeah. you know, t- Tony Hawk got to get paid somehow, that man. Team's stuck making, <laughs> yeah. That team's stuck. Vicarious Visions, formerly Vicarious Visions, is now stuck making Diablo stuff, which. Uh, right. <laughs> it's, I'm uh, not a huge Diablo fan, but um, I'd rather see more Tony Hawk games, to be honest. You know, it's never been a series that managed to completely capture my attention for some reason, even though the few yeah. times that I've actually spent some time playing those games, I have enjoyed them, and I can see why they're a phenomenon. But at the same time, like, yeah, to just have them like cranking out more Diablo, like, that's a bummer. Yeah, the curious <laughs> v- visions. Yeah. Try to look up their old stuff, man, because they were excellent. I mean, right. I known the I have known them because of the magic they had from the Game Boy game Game Boy Advance games they made. If you ever try out the Tony Hawk games on Game Boy Advance. Yeah, they are phenomenal. Like yeah. if you know this game called 720 by Atari, mm-hmm. that's how this game is like uh, right. on the Game Boy Advance. They made Tony yeah. Hawk really playable, really fun. They had pretty much all the tricks, I believe, that were on the uh, much beefier systems, but it was still really fun to play. The music was great. The soundtrack, uh, especially for Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two for Game Boy right. Advance, that that soundtrack, I I actually have that on my iPad or iPhone. <laughs> I listen to it once in a while. That's how good it is. But mm-hmm. yeah, they did a lot of nice miracles. They also did Jet Set Radio on Game Boy Advance, right? And I don't have that game, but I heard that's pretty good as well. It's on the, kind of the same engine as Tony Hawk. Yeah, that but, was an interesting yeah, I mean, time for games, this, especially on that hardware, because, yeah. you know, that hardware was certainly not capable of mimicking that, which was happening on, like, PS2 or Xbox. But by the same token, like, you did have some 3D polygonal capability there and you know some developers really really strive to make some like tiny miracles on the game boy advance and those tony hawk games are definitely in that league um you know there's some other ports that come to mind but yeah what are you gonna do yeah you know (laughs) i mean but let's talk about this nft game though yeah. And the look of it. I think uh you can find uh if you just look up Tony Hawk NFT, you'll see pictures of the game. Yeah. And it looks a lot more like they're trying to go with the Minecraft vibe where it's right. like I guess you can create your own skater, is that right? And it's a very blocky skater. You can make your own ramps and then I think so. I mean, you can it's... uh <laughs> I gotta admit, like, every time there's another NFT story, like, it's very hard to not roll my eyes and just go, oh, Mm. Jesus, like, someone else is doing this again. And, like, 
you know, I get it. Like game development is very difficult work and it's such a crowded marketplace, you know, of things like, you know, just look at like the Nintendo switch marketplace as an example of like something that's just jammed to the gills with a lot of shit that like maybe shouldn't be there. Um, and so uh, I get that there's like, there's always enormous pressure to like try and continue monetizing like a variety of things. And so I can see like just trying to play devil's advocate here. I can see how a company would really try to leverage as many things as possible just to stay in business because you know, it's it seems so easy for a project to bomb these days, given how crowded that marketplace is. But uh, this just feels like not the right thing and like a thing that's going to devour yeah. a lot of developers time when maybe it shouldn't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean. If you uh, watched the video <laughs> that came with it, mm-hmm. the only thing that Tony Hawk really said was like, oh, yeah, we're on the metaverse now. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but he didn't really elaborate <laughs> himself what was going to be right. on his game. <laughs> so well, I mean, who even knows at this point? The... Yeah. I was just going to say, like, who even knows at this point? Because, I mean, he, you know... I know he was very involved with the development of the original games. Um, you know, and thankfully he was working with people that really did love skateboarding and they had a genuinely great idea as far as gameplay. So, you know, that was just like the perfect alignment of a variety of things all at once. Yeah. But I I doubt this is gonna wind up <laughs> being something like terribly memorable or game changing in any way like i don't know it's just it's sad to see everybody like lured by this siren song you know yeah i just hope it's not the start of the downfall of tony hawk games because that would be a sad thing to experience it's just in general how i feel about this is kind of like how you see a good friend of yours and then you see them hook up with someone who's totally wrong for them. You're like, Tony. Your funeral, dude. I gotta tell, tell you something, Tony. Yeah. You're, you're skating to, you're skating to some somewhere bad. I don't know. You're, you're skating yeah. to some hazards. It's 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 not good, Tony. You might want to steer away from that. Right. This this may not be a recoverable 720 or right. What, what, what was his uh, key uh, uh, move? What was it, the 900? The, the thing that made him famous was he was the first person to pull off a 900. I mean, he was famous yeah. before that, but, like, yeah, I don't know. It's so weird because, like, I, you know, I skateboarded during, like, the really, really, really early era of, like, the Bones Brigade. So, in some ways, yeah. like, I feel like I've been watching Tony Hawk's career to some extent for like the entirety of my life. And like, yeah. I'm sure like 
he's got to be pretty financially secure, particularly after, you know, the original series of games blew up on PlayStation and other consoles. But -hmm. at the same time, like this series has definitely like eh, gone off the rails before. I mean, I know that Tony Hawk five got like absolutely abysmal reviews because it didn't really adhere to the gameplay formula at all. It was more of like an open sandbox sort of thing. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Which even the That's later when... games in the original series did like Tony Hawk pro skater four was the first one to adopt like kind of a quasi GTA thing where you could just skate around in a really large environment. And then if you talk to somebody like, that would initiate a challenge that would be like a two minute thing that sort of approximated the experience from the original three games. Um, but, uh, I don't know, man, like just knowing that there was a remake of Tony Hawk pro skater three, which is hands down my favorite game in the series, knowing that was on the table at one point and now it's dead is just, Oh, that's an enormous bummer for me, but you know, I did we need my to part. pound the table. <laughs> we need to pound the table. Get the curious visions back. Pound I the did table. My part, man, I went out and bought that game day one for PS4. Yeah. And yeah. I may yet actually buy a copy of it for Switch just so I can play that portably because that remake of one and two is fantastic and I would say even if this spells the end of those games, like formally or as we knew them, like at least it's yeah. going out on a high point. I guess so. But yeah. I still won't buy that NFT game. <laughs> no, I I don't. I, it's just nothing I care about. Exactly. Uh, uh, but yeah, I guess on a lighter, better note, Bayonetta uh-huh. 3 finally gets a release date yeah october 28th this year yep don't have to wait much longer it's been what five years i'm excited about bayoween yes (laughs) (laughs) you can't ask for a more perfect date right nope jeez um so yeah uh your thoughts about the hype the maybe the relief that the fans have now that it's coming to a head and you know your appreciation of bayonetta in general it's so funny because like uh part of what i'm going to talk about right now is actually going to sort of tie in um to the big question that we'll address mm-hmm. later but like yes platinum makes fantastic games and like i'm glad that we're getting a third Bayonetta game period Mm -hmm. Um, but by the same token like that's a team that was long accustomed to like really pushing what hardware was possible you know like pushing the hardware to whatever it could do with its limits and I'm sure that's happening with this third title but by the same token like the actual hardware in the Nintendo Switch is about a decade old now. And so... Technically, yes, yeah. 
the I mean the chipset, the Tegra chipset is you know it's old now. And like yeah. I'm so happy that we're getting another outing and you know, hopefully like it's funny because like I enjoy the story, quote unquote, that exists with these games, but like like it's patently ridiculous and it knows it. You know what I mean? Like it's very meta in its knowledge of like video game stories are generally like really ridiculous and convoluted. And so this game, this series has had no qualms embracing that idea and just being really, really goofy about it. And I'm, think, I'm great with yeah. that. But by are the they same pushing token, the envelope? What do you Even mean? more than Bayonetta 2? Because I heard Bayonetta 2 was a little bit toned down compared to 1. In terms of, like, being risque? Yeah, or violent. Um, I don't know. I mean, I felt like it, it was a little bit dialed back with the second game compared to the first. Um, But by the same token, like, and this sort of crosses over into that little tidbit about there being naive angel mode. Where apparently (laughs) um, you can flip this naive mode switch and play a version of Bayonetta 3 that would be acceptable to, you know, more conservative people or, you know, non-weebs. Yeah, cover (laughs) up the women showing the side boobs and all that. Right. Having more clothing. Which I'm fine with. There were some people sort of freaking out about the fact that that was an option at all. But at the same time, like, well, hell, like, I remember all kinds of things being controversial in the era of Mortal Kombat. And you didn't even get a choice at home. Like with Sega Genesis, you had a code that could Mm -hmm. unlock the blood in Mortal Kombat. On Super Nintendo, you had no option. It was all gray sweat. Um. Yeah. So having there and be this is a the choice, <laughs> right? Like there's there's a choice, and so I'm fine with it. I don't think that's a big deal at all. I mean, you know, it, I feel bad for it fits, like if it's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very tongue in cheek. I feel bad for like, you know, there's probably some like teenage kids out there that like, you know. Bayonetta's doing a lot for them at this point, and then they've got to worry about, like, you know, looking perverted in front of their parents or whatever. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing to ponder because, like, that, that seems to be, like, such a complete and total non-issue anymore, whereas once it was, like, it was everything. I mean, you actually had, like, congressional hearings about Mortal Kombat and, you know, the sexy content in Night Trap, so... You know, yeah. as an option, no problems with that whatsoever. Like, let it be. You know, if that allows somebody to play the <laughs> game more comfortably around whoever they live with, great. You know, right on. Yeah. yeah, I remember uh, <laughs> Dead or Alive. Dead or Alive had that switch where you could uh, reduce the boob jiggle, right? <laughs> the way the breasts bounced. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Back in those days, uh, especially the early games, it didn't really 
it's it was so exaggerated that yeah it was actually kind of embarrassing to watch Mm -hmm. especially around other people so that was very understandable uh bayonetta yeah yeah got some racy content but i'm glad that they're not toning it down that's what what the uh, developers wanted to do and they made this a choice you can either watch it the way it was intended or you can watch it with uh, a little bit more clothing and i think uh it's just great that nintendo is letting them do that because this is a from what I understand, pretty much Nintendo is giving the funds for this. So, right. But at the same time, Nintendo kind of shed its very, very long tradition of being kind of prude about things. Being very since, strictly family friendly, quote unquote. Yeah, since the NES, Super NES days, and maybe a little bit of the N64 days. But <laughs> recently, they've been kind of. Well, it's really funny that. because if you like, I would imagine most people hearing this were probably way too young to remember the congressional hearings about Mortal Kombat and Night Trap. But yeah. it was very funny because essentially Nintendo went in, and by Nintendo, I mean Nintendo of America lawyer Howard Lincoln went into this thing ready to throw. Sega completely under the bus on the issue. Um, mm. And so it was a very grandstandy sort of appearance. And, you know, Howard Lincoln was just like, Night Trap is a game that you would never see on a Nintendo platform. <laughs> and that's kind of hilarious now because you can get Night Trap on the Nintendo Switch if you're so inclined. I wouldn't be. Because it's along with uh, yeah, a Gal game, Gun honest, and a but... bunch of. <laughs> 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 yeah, I know. I agree. It's funny, right? It's so yeah. ironic. And not only that, like I mentioned, Gal Gun and all these other, like, really, really, like, you know what's yeah. going on. I like, mean, there's uh, a lot. There's a lot of like one-handed hentai anime games, games in yeah. that library. In that, you know, in the eShop now. So. <laughs> Exactly. Very, it's yeah, it's very interesting how we've come full circle. On the flip side, though, with this naive angel mode thing, it almost made me wonder yeah. if, like, maybe the second game was made where Nintendo is like, "Look, you got to reel this in just like a little bit," and I think that was sort of palpable yeah. in the game compared to some of the content in Bayonetta. But I'm wondering if with this third game, they're like, "Hey, look, we'll." If we can do what we want and just have this mode, does that work? So I'm wondering if maybe the game is slightly racier, but they did it with the compromise point of having this mode in. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's an interesting thing to ponder, though. I'm glad they did it. Yeah. Because Platinum Games and uh, Nintendo have had a pretty good relationship so far. With Astro yeah. cha- uh, Chain being one, mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't think that's uh, on any other system still. No, so I mean no- they... nothing since that buyout has appeared on any yeah. other system. I mean, the only things you've seen like there was a re-release of Bayonetta and Vanquish that was yeah. like for PS4 and Xbox, like you know, better visuals, higher frame rate, all that, um, which. 
speaking of which, that's also something that I need to nail down. But um, what? <laughs> no, I would like to. I, I want to. I would like to play both of those in that form. Um. Oh, gotcha. It's kind of. See again, like Platinum are so good at what they do, and they had so many good-looking games in the Xbox 360 era. That man, mm-hmm. I would. Part of me would still really love to see what they could do if they were still developing for other consoles. Like that's the only downside of you know well, Nintendo basically they, they making still them a second-party company. Uh, are they though? <laughs> They, they, I mean, they, they released these, I mean, they released these older games, but we haven't seen any of their new games come out for no, other machines. No, no, they they made a uh, Babylon's Fall. Maybe you're familiar with that game. I'm not. <laughs> that game has been rated one of the worst games ever, and mm. I believe that's on PS4, PS5, mm. and Xbox. I have not heard it's of this. It's like a yeah, um, I think it was uh, made in tandem with Square Enix, I believe. Hmm. And uh, that didn't go so well because they felt like, um, uh, from what I understand, there were a lot of graphical glitches and a lot of weird things going on in the game. It wasn't very polished. It had a very good combat system, mm-hmm. but they didn't advertise it well either and it just kind of went from like kind of a whimper when it released to like literally you could count on two hands how many people were online at the same time yeah. <laughs> that's how bad it was and it only had been released for about a year or so now okay yeah i'm pretty sure it's babylon's fall hmm. that's what uh, platinum games has has done in tandem with Square Enix. I might be wrong, but I believe that's what I read. And I read uh, somebody actually is still playing that game just because he knows that that game is terrible, but yet he still wants to support it. And he made a, I guess, a, a sort of blog about it. <laughs> so, huh. yeah. Hmm. That maybe it's, uh, maybe there's some Blue Singer vibes associated there somehow. I mean, <laughs> I think that's why he's in it. He's just... I think we talked about games that are painful, but he still wants to go back to it just because... I don't know. Maybe it's a pride thing. Maybe there is a secret love. But yeah. You you rock on with your bad self, my friend. Yeah. Finally, (laughs) let's talk about Mr. Sounds like they're getting a standalone (laughs) Super Game Boy core. This is shit none what, what, of the what, rest what, what, what. of you say. I'm saying this is some shit none of the rest of you say. Because oh. God knows I talk about Mr. Too Much. <laughs> but I, I still want to know what's going on. I mean, right. it's not like I'm not interested in it. I think right. it's cool, but I need a little bit more background to it. But so, Super Game Boy, yeah, I'm interested. So here's the deal. Like... There was support in the existing Game Boy Core for, like, a Super Game Boy mode. The thing was, Mm -hmm. it was always a little bit rough. There were some issues with um, pass-through cartridge audio. Like, you wouldn't be able to hear uh, Pauline scream in uh, Donkey Kong. 
So there were some little oh, issues yeah. like that. Um, also, like if you changed changed games midway on the core, like sometimes if that game had like a custom bezel for it in Super Game Boy mode, like it wouldn't update that or change it out properly. So that core had a number of issues. Um, but by the same token, there was no like Game Boy support within the Super Nintendo core. So it's really cool that somebody else stepped up and decided to code this very specific Super Game Boy core. Um, you can enjoy it as either a Super Game Boy 1 or Super Game Boy 2, which there's some uh, different backgrounds associated with both of those, um, different palettes as well. So, hmm. you know, a lot of people love playing that Game Boy library in that specific way, especially, you know, with a excellent Super Nintendo controller. So I'm definitely stoked that that has received a little bit of additional love because you could play Super Game Boy stuff in that way before, but it was a little bit janky. So, you know, it represents another nice improvement and... There are also some other things that dropped this week, like uh, there's folks that are working on a Konami core that's like the um, Gradius Arcade era games and the first beta of that release, so you can play Nemesis now. Um, you know, and the Mister just kind of remains the the thing that people just keep making fantastic things for. So I'm grateful to all those uh, developers out there doing it. And, you know, that's why I throw some uh, cheddar their way on Patreon, because I think their work is definitely worth supporting. Man, I'm just glad that they are that meticulous to the point where they are doing something for Super Game Boy, because yeah. I don't know too many games that take advantage of Super Game Boy, mm -hmm. but Playing Donkey Kong on Super Game Boy is like night and day when it yeah. compared to just playing it on a regular Game Boy. And oh, I yes. remember when I had a Super Game Boy and I was playing Donkey Kong, looking at that specialized Donkey Kong bezel. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the the sound effects are different. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to see, obviously, because you can have a bigger screen. Yeah. And Maybe even the controls are better because you're using a Super Nintendo pad instead of uh, the Game Boy default right. uh, buttons and D-pad. And saves your hands a little bit. So yeah. I think I'm, like I said, I think uh, it's amazing what the guys at Mr. are doing. Yeah. And I can't wait to see what they do next. I mean, who knows? I, I've heard that people are starting to emulate... Uh, Laserdisc games to the point where it's like the actual Laserdisc is getting emulated instead of like how they're doing it now with uh, I know Dragon's Lair has the Daphne emulator which is specialized to like run certain things but yeah. I don't know if they are using like clips of parts of the Laserdisc that they kind of feed through I don't know how it works but I heard that they are improving the technology to make it much more like how the actual laser disc and the hardware work. That's right. what I've been reading on Twitter, but 
not really familiar with it, but it sounds like they're making some headway with that. And that's something that if Mr. can do that as well, that would be super sweet. Yeah, I'd assume just my like, I definitely wouldn't rule it out because like if you told me two years ago that by summer of 2022, there would be um, like a really robust and pretty damn precise PlayStation core. I wouldn't yeah. have believed it. I mean, it seems like every time there's like a really definitive barrier, like, well, I don't know if it can do that. Like some coder is just like, all right, challenge accepted, you know? So <laughs> it's, it's pretty it's impressive. Like, the, like the meme. Yeah. I mean, somebody, I think I was caught it on Twitter somewhere in the middle of this week. Like somebody ran Ridge racer for like, X amount of time and throughout that stretch of time, like he had Ridge Racer running on an original PlayStation and he had Ridge Racer running through the core on Mr. And the game never dropped sync, like not even a frame the entire time. So, you know, that core is becoming precise in like a really impressive way, especially get it, given just how much more complex that piece of hardware is compared to, you know, all the other cores that exist for the system. I mean, you're dealing with something like it's got this separate memory card reader, you know, there's all these kinds of strange timing issues that you know, were sort of thought would be really problematic, especially when you think of like the way the disk drive would have to physically access the CD or stream certain elements of games. And yet, you know, the guy has basically done it, you know, I mean, there's still some lingering bugs for, you know, a fair amount of known titles and that'll continue probably for a long time. But for it to have come this far is really just like, kind of mind-blowing and i think the only thing that would be more mind-blowing for me personally is seeing the saturn core finally come live which apparently that's making terrific progress as well especially after the 32x core drop because a lot of the a lot of the hardware specifically the hitachi chips involved are pretty similar so i just it's it's just really impressive to see people that are so dedicated to getting these things right, like working minor miracles all the time. Makes a world so, of difference. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, you need that. You need that perception, that beautiful pinpoint accuracy that you're yeah. focused on because you come a long way from emulation. Yeah. As you said, uh, you can't go back once you play Mister and you're playing these games and there's not very much, if at all, input lag compared to like emulation. Yeah, but I mean I mean I that's the thing though, played. like like I say that, but by the same token, like I think a lot of my opinions of emulators uh and this is probably an unfair thing, like they're sort of rooted in that like Y2K era of like you know, I would play these things and there was still like a big component of it that just felt like it was missing or like 
the responses were slower because I would be playing something that I'd be like really familiar with and just not being anywhere near as good at it. And that would just piss me off. So I was like, wait a minute, am I like, <laughs> God, like are my reflexes going that poorly? Like, am I really getting this old this fast? And then, you know, thankfully having played a lot of those games on Mr. Now, I'm just like, Oh no. Like a lot of these games, I still know like the back of my hand. It's just, uh, you know, it's an input lag thing. So, yeah, you know, it's good. Exactly. To, uh, it's good to and, get the game back. And, you know, especially now that we're getting to this era where a lot of our favorite game systems are simply going to stop working. Um, yep. You know, we're going to get chips that fail. We're going to get a lot more of the heart, you know, more of the complex hardware beginning to fail like so many of those older systems now need like really extensive modifications or recaps um so you know it's good to see all of that stuff you know being continually preserved by a community that just says oh no like this should continue like people should still be able to play and access all of these games because you know they're they're fucking treasures to me and a whole lot of people. So, yeah, I mean, it's one thing to have these compilations that come out on home systems of old games, things like that. But in order to really preserve them, just in case things like licenses or whatnot expire or right. uh, lost in time due to bad archiving. <laughs> Yeah, which some companies have been known to do. I mean, we've There's seen that happen some way to so many times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I think about the fact that Just like go. Sega doesn't have the source code for Panzer Dragoon Saga anymore, like that breaks my yep. fucking heart, man. <laughs> you know, and it yep. makes me want to just like find whatever remaining copies there are of that game and just like you know put them in a nuclear bunker or something you know but you know <laughs> thankfully a exactly. lot of people feel the same way i do and they're working on these things and it's great so you know yeah the world may be falling apart uh, but it's an amazing time to be a retro gamer yeah and i think nowadays they won't make that mistake again i think people are properly archiving their games now because they know that it's going to be popular again someday even the bad ones even bad games get popular <laughs> like geez even superman 64 is popular because everyone wants to see it and see how right. bad of a game it is yet i want to play that i heard it was a big old soon. piece of shit <laughs> yeah i'm mm -hmm. gonna stream it and show my pain on for the whole world to see it's yep. gonna be great yeah uh I mean, that's always but. been a running thing with movies where, like, you know, movie aficionados, there's also, like, a sizable community of them that love movies that are so bad they're good. And so it's, yep. I think it's natural that that would also extend to gaming, you know, that there's, like, you know, someone's going to stream, you know, E.T. for the 2600 on Twitch because it's ridiculous yeah. to watch E.T. like falling through a hole over and over again. So and it's glorified, it's glorified <laughs> by people like AVGN, 
<laughs> so you want to do these that you want to play last ninja or all these bad games because you want to see it for yourself and that's good totally it's good to have that education good and yeah. bad education yeah because that's what makes us gamers <laughs> you can look forward to my full stream of, of uh, blue stinger <laughs> on twitch at some point in the future yes <laughs> Please, please uh, let us know when you get that Twitch channel running, and I will be the first one to watch you in full, cheering you on, laughing at the bad jokes. You know it, uh-huh. buddy. All right. Uh, we're going to take a little take break. break. Yeah. Yes, we're going to take a little break. Um, you're going to hear from one of the fellow podcasters on Ruminations Radio Network, which we are a part of. If you like what you are hearing about this uh, little show, please visit ruminationsradionetwork.com. Check it out for yourself. We'll be right back. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at ruminationsradionetwork.com. Hey, we're back. So back. Hey. So back. Hey. Kick back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so are we going to lean into the big question? No, we haven't done now playing yet. It's true, but we haven't. What are you playing oh. right now? What am I playing? What are you uh, playing? Actually, I've been I've been playing uh, quite a few things. Well, you you were kind enough to help me get a few uh, of these little mini arcade machines from New Wave Toys, Replicades. Uh, they are great. They are well-crafted. And you helped me get two of these uh, from... Uh, these two games are 1942 uh, and 1943. They are old mm-hmm. uh, shoot 'em up games from Capcom. And Whoop. New Wave Toys made uh, little cabinets for them that looked just like how they did in the arcade. And it, they're a joy to have. They're great to display. And they're even more fun to play because the controls, although they're a lot smaller, they're still really responsive and just a blast to kind of fire it up once in a while. So I've been playing those. Uh, I also got Cubert, which is their newest replicate that finally came in uh earlier this month and i'm a huge fan of cubert um i mentioned before that my church for some some reason uh they had cubert and frogger arcade machines at our uh break room and I played it almost every week. Yeah, I don't know why they had these arcade games. I didn't complain. I was like, sure, I will love to play these <laughs> games. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how this has to do with God or, you know, Sunday school or, you know, the right. resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I'll play Hubert all day if uh, you allow me to do so for free with no no quarters necessary. Sure. Don't look a God cabinet in the mouth, Ed. Exactly. Just enjoy it. 
That's why those cabinets were God tier for me. Oh, awesome. God tier. Yeah. So I was playing those three replicades. Um, Capcom Arcade Stadium 2 comes out later this week. And to prime nice. up for that, I've been trying to get back to playing a game I used to play all the time when I was a kid. And that game mm-hmm. is Strider. Nice. Do you do you remember Strider? I yeah. remember Strider very, very well because um a good friend of mine, um you know him from back in the Capcom VG one days. Um yeah. Dave. Mm-hmm. He it's funny because like we would go to the arcades looking for Street Fighter Comp, like way back when. And if for some reason, like there weren't a lot of people around or, you know, we, some people would show up and then we'd beat them down and then they'd leave. Um, he would always end up playing Strider at the end of the night and just trying to finish it with a quarter again. Like that was yeah. his like outro ritual. So, it's, um, it's a nice little outro to have, especially after work. Yeah. I mean, be lucky to have something like that. It's funny because, like, that game, it's weird because I feel like the popularity of the character itself really outpaces the popularity of that actual game. Like, for some reason, people friggin' lose their minds over Strider. And it's because... The character has a really, really cool design. Um, I know that the appearance in the Marvel games also had a lot to do with sort of resurrecting Strider's popularity. Um, you know, as realized in Marvel versus Capcom, like Strider looked fantastic. He did. And I remember, you know, wishing, you know, I know we got a Strider to. And it was I, but like, are you talking about the PlayStation One? Yes, the the CD PlayStation One or the remake that was talking about the PlayStation One, not the double helix like Metroidvania thing. I'm talking about Strider Two on PlayStation One, which you know that was a compilation because it included that and the original game, but Mm -hmm. like. I can remember seeing when Strider appeared in Marvel versus Capcom, I was like, my God, I would, you know, give up a toe to have a Strider game with that sprite as like the playable Strider hero. Um, But that was not to be. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that character is like a really interesting and weird, like sidebar you know, among the Capcom canon, like that's definitely like a unique and interesting character design that I think that character has always been like more popular than the games he actually appeared in, which is just weird. Yeah. Wasn't he uh, an actual manga character before the game? I have heard this, but I've never gotten a, like, cause like, if you look at the original Strider, like it's licensed, like the character yeah. is actually licensed to some other entity, Moto Kikaku. Kikaku. If I yeah, recall I correctly. That's... Yeah. Is that so the artist? Like, 
I don't know. I don't know if that's the artist name or if that's a publisher, but like I've or never seen name. any of the other like I would love to know what Strider materials, if any, were like things that were available before that game dropped. You know what I mean? Because I do think of him like natively as a Capcom thing, but yeah, in fact, that character was licensed. So I don't know. Mysteries abound. And I'm sure that like, if I got really possessed one day and just like dug around on the internet, I'm sure those things probably are out there somewhere, but yeah, there's, there's some weird lore around that character. And, uh, I don't know. It's always fun to, to ponder Strider once again. Yeah. Capcom should do us a solid and release that for themselves and try to populate more interest maybe for a sequel. That would be cool. I I loved Strider because of the way he looked as well. Put me in that camp. When I was a kid, that's what drew me to this game. The graphics were amazing. The music was amazing. And that sword, nothing, like nothing I've seen before. That little saber, yeah. that little boomerang-shaped mm-hmm. whiff uh, or swing that you had every time you used your sword. It was so awesome to see, and I don't see many other characters like that. I want I mean, more. That game, <coughs> pardon me, that game was really, really weirdly ambitious for yeah. what it was, because the grappling was kind of clumsy like it worked in like a really specific way but at the like you could also see that like the collisions and everything were not quite as buttoned down as a lot of other action games of the era like it was just trying to do more with a side-scrolling action game than most other games were trying um but like there were also other ways that it was really strangely innovative. Like the music in that game functions so much more like a proper movie soundtrack than just your, your typical video game of the era in which you just had like a stage theme and it would just loop throughout the stage. Like there were all these specific moments in the game that would trigger really specific sound cues. Like you think about yeah the second stage in which you know you kill these dogs in Siberia and then you wind up with this giant mecha gorilla and then there's this part where you have this escape down this really steep cliff and like the escape down the cliff had like its own sort of action movie sound cue and you even had voices in the cinematics And that was all stuff that, like, really very few, if any, other developers were even trying with a game like that. Yeah, I remember that totally. Like, uh, the snowy slope, running down that snowy slope while the bombs were going off. And then (laughs) you had to make that huge jump from the very end of that slope to the next platform, which had the next stage. And then the music would transition immediately to that part of the stage yeah that was yeah that's a good great observation i don't think a lot of people really think of that but that was no, definitely something that, that did not jump. happen 
and then he yeah. lands and then it transitions to like this really moody theme because um there's yeah. these really powerful enemies afoot with like these little bipedal mechas and then there's like the giant robo dude that can sort of float and fire missiles and shit and it's like you're trying to make yeah. your way upwards and yeah like it's so weird because like it's not the best playing game you've ever played. And there are definitely moments of frustration where like his hand grip is just like a little bit iffy and it sort of depends on the angle of whatever surface you're trying to attach yourself to. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, there were all these interesting things that it was trying to do that, very few other games were like reaching for. So I don't know, like it's almost too much game for the hardware it's on, but I I have a profound appreciation for like just how bloody ambitious that game was. It really was. I actually think it's the precursor to what Capcom did with street fighter two. You know how you have the music the background mm-hmm. music every time yeah. Yeah. when you're about to get uh, KO someone, or if you're about to get KO'd, then the music changes. Danger Maybe music. That was inf- yeah, that was probably influenced by Strider. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's also like a very sort of cinematic idea in terms yeah. of sound design. So, yeah. I don't man. know anyone who did that back in the day. So I think Capcom was that. That was one of the reasons why Capcom was great. Not only the graphics. But the right. music and the well, way no, they mean, did the music, they were all, they were definitely pushing the envelope in terms of what their arcade hardware was capable of, in terms of just how much of an influence their artists were having over the look of those games. I mean, yeah. to look at the treasure trove of artwork created for those games it's really pretty mind blowing, like just how much flavor and personality and color they were striving to imbue those games with. Yeah. It's amazing. That's, yeah. that's why Capcom has always been one of my favorite companies in video games. If not, maybe the top, I don't know if it's Nintendo or Capcom, but probably, I would say overall, probably Capcom, but not by much. Yeah. But they had a huge influence on me yeah. from my early days to now. Yeah. I mean, James. I've already ranted many times across this podcast and others about how, you know, Street Fighter 2 was fundamentally a life-changing event for me. Same here. Um, Same here. So, you know, yeah, that's definitely something that, like, other companies have made games that have absolutely loved to pieces or have had incredible moments with, but you know, hands down, if I were to say like, if this game company didn't exist, like how different would your life be? I mean, uh, yeah, Capcom was I would definitely say that... the key to a whole lot of choices I made. Some were good, some were bad, but, you know, either way, I was absolutely, you know, you know, SF2 affected a lot of my choices between 1991 uh, and uh, uh, the next 20 and years. Cy- 
<laughs> and sacrificing quality of footwear to procure a copy of Ghouls and Ghosts for the Sega Genesis. Yeah. That too. <laughs> yeah. J- James, what are you playing nowadays or right now? You know, here's the deal. Like I've I've acquired all of these awesome um shooter compilations as of late. And to yeah. be honest, like given sort of where I'm at right now, like I've got this intensity job and that like devours a lot of my like thought time. Um, you know, for good or bad, even when I'm actually not in the office. So um, mm. the thing that I'm enjoying unwinding with the most right now are still just, I'm still very much in a shooter mode. So I'm still playing yeah. the um, Sky Shark slash Fire Shark compilation a lot. Um, oh, I need to get that. I want to get worthwhile. that soon. Same, yeah. same, same. Totally worth it. Yeah. Um, I had a breakthrough today. I actually got, I kept dying at the end of the second level of sky shark, which sucks. Mm-hmm. But then today yeah. I broke through and almost got to the end of stage four with a new high nice. score. And that was, that was great. Like I still like, it really kind of blows me away. Like there's so much subtlety in Sky Shark, and it seems a little bit ridiculous because you're talking about like the proto era of shoot 'em ups. You know what I mean? Like the vertical shooter yeah. is really just kind of coming to its own in that time, particularly at the hands of Toa Plan. And yet, like, there's so much subtlety in terms of like all the choices that are made with regard to like bullet speed or the way the enemies follow you like and that game just has this like it's funny because i'll fire it up again and if it's been a couple weeks i will die a lot and early (laughs) and yet if i just keep plugging away a bit i do get warmed up and then my muscle memory kicks in and then I recognize that, like, the great thing that Sky Shark makes you do over and over and over again is just continually, like, keep moving. Like, there's just this balance between when enemies appear on the screen, when they launch their first shot, how fast that shot travels. And it just has this amazing way of making you continually move and press your counterattack. And so it's not just about, like, a pattern through the mayhem or, like, exploiting a specific weapon because, like, it just doesn't have that kind of gameplay. But what it does do is just make you continually keep moving and playing in an offensively aggressive manner. So, oh, it's just a joy. (laughs) It's been a while since I've played that game, and I miss it, and I definitely want to get it soon before the uh supplies the physical copies dry yeah. up for switch uh Worth there's that and tiger heli yeah <laughs> i need to get those two yep. put it in my collection yeah. i forgot to mention i am playing a uh, life force nice thanks to uh did you buy influence. the arcane archives version you're... on switch yes i did nice and as you said 
it's tough at first. I keep dying uh, most of the time in the first stage, but I'm slowly getting to the end of the first stage, and all I have to do is figure out the pattern of the boss. Trying to do it so that, I mean, with that game, it's like when you die, it's hard to come back. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to do it for right now on just one life. Yeah. See how far I get. If I die, I reset. And I'm Question. playing the version. Yes. No, I wanted to ask. Um, yeah. Since you're buying that, or I assumed you bought that on the Japanese eShop? Yes, I did. So was it branded Salamander? Yes, it was. Okay. And uh, they have both... I mean, it translates to English automatically if your language settings are in English. Okay. So it is both Salamander and Life Force. And the reason why it's both is because there's three versions. There's Mm -hmm. a Salamander Japanese version, Mm -hmm. uh, the U.S. version of Life Force, and then a later version of Life Force, which instead of picking up power-ups just that are specific Mm -hmm. where it's like there's a missile power-up there's a speed power-up okay the last and final version has it like the traditional gradius setup where you have the little meter where it's like if you get one power-up icon you can speed up or you can hold it and then if you get another power-up you can choose to get missiles Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, until you get to the options and whatnot, so you can get to choose, yeah, your your weapons and barrier whatnot. It's pretty cool. No, it's, that's the it's one interesting that, the, that that game represents such a like sort of open like, hey, we're trying to figure out like how this works best, sort of thing, and like. I can appreciate playing the Japanese edition of Salamander, which has those specific power-ups that enemies leave behind. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I actually think that Life Force is kind of a better iteration of the Gradius thing because there's a hell of a lot more power-up capsules to be caught. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? So like, even if you eat it, like you can actually bulk your ship up back up without too much trouble because normally in a Gradius game, like if you die, you're just fucked. <laughs> like you're going to go into the Pretty game, much. <laughs> you're going to collect all those capsules. You're going to beef up your laser and your missiles. And you're going to have your options rolling. And then yep. you die once. And then your game is probably over. <laughs> so yeah, you're pretty much boned. Yeah, but I'm used to playing uh, NES Life Force, so that's why I'm playing the last version of Life Force because I'm right. used to that system. Mm-hmm. But I do appreciate that they have all those versions, so I can yeah, choose. Yeah, me too. No, it's it's yeah, good should... stuff, and Hamster did a good job with that title. Definitely get it if you can. Anyone's yep. listening, it's great. It's a great classic. Well. Definitely. All right, time for the big question. So, James, you had yeah. this really nice question. I really, it's a thought-provoking question, and I'm excited to answer it. 
uh, let's uh, talk about it. Uh, the big okay. question for today. If you can have any small dev you love release a massively successful game that becomes a mainstream phenomenon, who would it be and how would you like to see them do so? James, you have the so floor. So I realize the dark forces of the universe that I am tempting by positing this because mm -hmm. right now M2 does an amazing job in preserving all of these incredible arcade games. Yeah. But part of me has to wonder, like, given their incredible taste in games and just how much skill they have, um, I know that you played the DS Game Center games. Yes, I have. And They're like, great. I love them. Yeah, I know that was developed by Indie Zero, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, they were. Definitely. And the thing is, like, like those are great knockoffs of like classic games. Like they did an unbelievable job, and it was sort of a really interesting way of attempting to like walk the user through the history of games by virtue of like a sample of games from different genres. And I realized yeah. that like this idea has very limited mainstream value, but I would love to see M2 do something in the vein of the game center CX DS games. Only it kind of attempts to walk you through the history of games Hmm. And I don't know, like, because obviously, like, that's a really expansive idea. And it would be interesting to say, well, like, how far do these go? You know, does it go from, like, you know, 8-bit Space Invader and Super Mario Brothers clone up to maybe the 32-bit era with RPGs? Does it go even later? I mean, this is just my absolute pipe dream for something like this. And, you know, this question was inspired by my thoughts about From Software and the fact that, like, they made games for a really long time that they were a known quantity amongst relatively hardcore gamers, but they hadn't really landed a game that crossed over and became like really an enormous thing unto itself until you get to the era of demon souls and dark souls. Um, yeah. That took it's, off. I mean, it's, bit. it's enormous now. I mean, you look at like the numbers that Elden ring sold and it's just astounding to think about how like, you know, they were really successful with what is a relatively hardcore concept. You know? It made um, thing it made it cool to die many, many times. <laughs> it did. They were those guys. Yeah. They made it cool Which, to die. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that. Like as a long suffering fan of the Ghouls and Ghosts franchise, like I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like exactly. if you manage to create something that like 
if it just gives you that little bit of a buzz after just the tiniest inkling of progress, like those can be some of the most addictive experiences you can have with gaming. So, you know, I, I admire from software greatly and that which they have achieved with the souls born games. And so that's where the premise for this comes from. It's just, I would love to see some other company that's been toiling for a long time. Yeah. Achieve something similar. Like, what are your thoughts on this? You know, for me, uh, might be a little bit similar to what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the hits that they had recently, mm-hmm. but I felt like uh, a lot of their hits, it's because it's on the back of existing licenses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but with the experiences that they've been collecting, I'd like to see them do their own thing. Yeah, and see how that plays out. And I'm talking about what Dotemu has been doing. Yeah. Uh, any of their, uh, I guess, uh, they're mostly a publisher, but they have some guys like Guard Crush Tribute Games. Mm-hmm. Those studios have them work together, make something. So I wouldn't say similar to what they're they've done with uh for example tmnt shredders revenge or streets of rage 4 the wonder boys series those are all great games and they were able to work with those existing formulas that are classics they made mm-hmm. them better they made them even more fun they made them popular with that yeah. experience i would like to see them do something unique or do yeah. something that is in the vein of what they have done, but make it revolutionary. Yeah. And I know they've been doing mostly 2D stuff, but maybe they decide, hey, we'll try some 3D. We'll try to get mainstream. We'll try to do like a 3D beat-em-up that the genre right now is, I wouldn't say it's on life support, I mean, it's obviously doing fairly well with a lot of the uh, nostalgia uh, games like uh, Final Vendetta, things like that, where they're kind of harnessing those 8-bit, 16-bit, even up to 32-bit vibes and doing great things with these uh, beat-em-ups. But after, I guess, uh, maybe the Dreamcast era, where they had the Dynamite Deca series spike out. And then we have a God Hand for PlayStation 2. You haven't had mm-hmm. much to really hope for in terms of beat em ups nowadays. Yeah. And I'd like I'd like to see Dotemu have one of their studios or all of their studios kind of try their hand at a new IP that they create and try to make something that Puts beat em ups back on the map because gosh darn it, that's what they deserve. It's a great series. Well, not, it's a great genre. Yeah. I don't know. That's my opinion. I, was, I may be biased. I was say, not, not to tempt your inner troll here, but yeah. I would imagine that there are some way forward fans yeah. that would like to have a word with you about Double yeah. Dragon Neon. Yeah. <laughs> I still gotta get and that game and give it its day in court. 
But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I, 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 you know, wait for it. I, uh, <laughs> everything I've played, it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I, I get it. They, they're fans. It's yeah. just not in my vibe sometimes or most of the time or all of the time. But <laughs> I know. Like, I heard so I, many I'm people giving... tell me that, like, Double Dragon Neon was like this great sort of return to form for Double Dragon that did it right in two and a half D. And I tried it and it just No, man. Yes. Like it just yes. it just missed yes. the mark for me. And I know that you and I are both, you know, <sighs> we're both massive acolytes at the Church of Double Dragon Advance. And yeah. That won't change anytime soon. <laughs> But that's why you know. uh I don't know who own I mean Arxis they own that IP now. Right. But after seeing Double Dragon 4, I don't know if I could trust them in making a really awesome Double Dragon again cuz they went yeah. really backward with 4. It just it felt like it was trying to kind of cut corners with the uh, Double Dragon 2 NES sprites. Yeah, I mean, that was a really... Feel... I still feel like that was yeah. an absolutely baffling choice. Like, it was. I get that Retro has very deep appeal. I'm certainly no stranger to this idea. But, yeah. like, I don't know anybody who said, man, I wish all the Double Dragon games looked just like the NES ones. Oh yeah! Like, like, why would you said, do that? It's the it's the said no one ever <laughs> idea among. I agree. People who love that series, so yeah, yeah, and it's interesting that it really like thus far, like nobody has really seemed to be able to crack that knot of making those games work in 3D. Besides, you know, God hand aside, yeah. So. I, I, I guess you you probably could make somewhat of an argument for that with regard to the the Yakuza games because but those that's games. Not, yeah, I know it's not really fundamentally like the same sort of side-scrolling beat 'em up experience. I'm just yeah. saying, in terms of like the way the combat works, like you know, attack, attack, defend, counter, like yeah. rhythmically, there is something in common with those but yeah i mean it would be great to see somebody sort of crack that open and actually make that happen in a in a 3d way that you know might be able to court a larger audience rather than you know the usual suspects that come out and buy all the 2d revival games yeah yeah i i think the the market the table is set yeah it's just a matter of Somebody's got to bring home the bacon. Yeah. And show us what it's all about. A brand new 3D beat em up that's going to be revolutionary. It's it's very possible. We'll see who steps up to the plate. For but sure. If someone does, I'm excited. Yeah, I'd support it. That's why I love that question you had, man. Great question. <laughs> Thank really you. glad that you brought it up. Before we go... This yeah. is the end of our episode, but before we go, mm -hmm. I want to try to unlock a mystery that has been there since episode five okay. on our broadcast. Okay. Why 
why why did you have the name tugboat i had the name tugboat <laughs> because all right i had a huge growth spurt my junior year yeah and so like going into my junior year i was maybe like five foot eight you know so i grew enormously my junior year but before that being like of average height but like really really stocky like it just became a known phenomenon where we would have these really physical games of horse and like i would grab a rebound and then i would just go up and try to score even if I had like multiple people hanging off of me. So that's where the nickname tugboat came from because (laughs) I would have a whole bunch of people hanging off of me, but I would just, you know, get up and lob the shot anyway, you know, (laughs) just, just think of an infinitely less talented Charles Barkley at five foot eight. Sounds like and, a lot uh, of jungle ball, man. Just yes. a lot of straight up jungle very, playground ball. Very much so. Man, it's better than playing chess 21. Do you know what chess 21 is? I don't. <laughs> My cousin told me this when yeah. uh, he was playing uh, in high school in the in the courts, the outdoor courts. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, yeah, we used to play chess 21. <laughs> And whoever uh, was playing that game, whoever mm-hmm. had the lowest score, everyone got yeah. to line up and hit him in the chest. <laughs> wow. Chest 21, baby. Wow. That's that's jungle ball. That's the thing. I can recall all kinds of playground savagery. I mean, there was always the, uh, the suicide game where you had like a racquetball and a wall. Yeah. And you oh, I remember suicide. Ball. You would throw the ball, it would hit the brick wall and bounce back. And if you were near the ball, you had to try and catch it with one hand. And if you bobbled it, you had to (laughs) run to the wall and tag the wall. And everybody behind you was free to pick up the ball and nail you right in the fucking back with the with the ball. Yeah. Suicide was so fun, dude. I remember those days. Yeah, mm-hmm. good times. Well, yeah. maybe not, not for some, but, <laughs> <laughs> but dangerous times, interesting yeah. times, precarious times, but and good there's, times. <laughs> there's few things like the sound of a careening racquetball nailing somebody in the back. <laughs> <laughs> that was That was some hard rubber in those days, man. You know, so, they probably uh, use those same sound effects and put them in Double Dragon or Street Fighter 2. I don't know. The thing it always made me think of, like, the first time I played Art of Fighting, like, the, yes. the impact sound of being punched in that game yeah, is a lot like the suicide racquetball noise. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Bad things, so man. awesome. Thank you for solving that mystery. Oh, I think a lot welcome. of people will be very happy to hear that now, and they'll yes. probably listen to episode five again to see what <laughs> we're talking about. Mayhaps. Yes. Thank you once again, James, for a wonderful episode. Absolutely, sir. I, Best I of luck you with your surgery. 
I know it's going to go well, so just uh, stay yeah. positive, man. Everything's going to be okay. It will be. Thank you, my friend. And You're thank you, all of our listeners. <laughs> you are our favorite listeners. <laughs> Because you're our only listeners. Yes. <laughs> but yes, we love you. We love all of you. All yep. two of you. Thank so you much. so much. So hard. Bye, we love you so hard. I love you so hard. Come on. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>